Thank you very much. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you so much that you are the living God and the speaking God. Thank you that the Bible is your living word to us. And we ask and pray that you would speak to us. Help us to hear what you have to say, to understand it, and to respond to it with faith and obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the uh, challenges of my life working for the FIEC is that I have very little opportunity to engage with non-Christians. I used to uh, work at the University of Birmingham, and I'd be working with non-Christian colleagues and students day by day. But in uh, my role as a full-time church pastor, and then particularly with the FIEC, there's just very little contact and opportunity to get to know uh, non-Christians. I realised that I didn't have a great deal of opportunity for evangelism. So a couple of months ago, I intentionally decided to join um, a local gym that quite a lot of people from Market Harbour would go to. Now, um, in all honesty, uh, I'd say it's more of a spa than a gym is the way that it operates. I have to say that most of the people go spend rather longer in the hot tub than they do in the pool or certainly on any of the torture equipment that they call the, uh, the gym equipment. But it's actually remarkable. Virtually every time I go, there is an opportunity for a conversation with somebody either in the hot tub or in the changing room and a chance to speak of Christ as you get to know people and discover a little bit about them. I've had probably more evangelistic conversations in the last couple of months than I have had in several years um, before that. But I have to say that deep down as I go to the gym, I have mixed feelings as I go. At one level, I love the opportunity to speak to people about Jesus. So what a great opportunity it is to meet new people and speak to him. On the other side, I'm also terrified. You see people in the pool, and at one level, you want them to demonstrate some interest and for a conversation to be developed. And yet on the other side, you're also almost wishing that they're not interested at all. Because in a sense, in evangelism, every time we speak of Jesus, it's as it were we're having to go over the top again as we tell people about uh, the Lord Jesus. See, the truth is, at one and the same time, I want to tell people about Jesus, but actually I'm a coward. And I suspect that for many of us, that's the fundamental problem with our evangelism. We want to tell people about Jesus, and um, uh, we know that that's vital, we know that that's important, we know that that's what we're called to do, but also, deep down, we are cowards, and we are held back by uh, fear We're afraid of what people will think of us. We're afraid of offending people. We're afraid of the consequences of speaking of Christ. It may well be that in the workplace, you've become more and more reticent to speak of Christ because of fear of what colleagues or clients or patients or students might report of you if you speak uh, of uh, Jesus. Well, I guess that uh, for many of us, that's an experience that we can relate to. And uh, the Bible encourages that, in a sense, that is nothing new. God's people have always faced the uh, problem of their fear uh, when it comes to speaking of the Lord Jesus. That's um, um, evident from uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. You'll know that uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy towards the end of his life. And one of the primary reasons why Paul is writing to Timothy, and we discover this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, is that Timothy has become ashamed to testify to the Lord Jesus. It's Timothy who is Paul's great co-worker, who's been set apart for the work of the gospel, who's been apprenticed to Paul for years, who has become afraid of speaking. Because he sees the risk, he sees Paul in prison, the suffering that he's experiencing. 
And so he's afraid of speaking. So Paul writes to him to encourage him to keep speaking the gospel. In a sense, the professional gospel worker is held back by cowardice and fear. Well, if our primary problem is fear, where are we going to get boldness from? Where are we going to get boldness from? And the answer is not just natural courage. There are some people who are naturally courageous, aren't they? They're hard-headed or they have no feelings, and they're just prepared to speak no matter what. But most of us are not like that. We don't have that natural courage. So where are we going to get boldness from? And the answer is that we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's actually what Paul says to Timothy at the beginning of that letter. He says to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. Timothy, you're afraid to testify to the Lord Jesus. Remember, you've been given the spirit of power. And in the book of Acts, we see repeatedly that bold evangelism happens when God's people are filled with the spirit. Bold evangelism happens when God's people are filled with the Spirit. I don't know if you noticed that in chapter 4 that we had read, the whole passage is bracketed by being filled with the Spirit. Chapter 4 and verse 7, as um, uh, sort of Peter and the apostles are before the Sanhedrin, before they speak, they are filled with the Spirit and then they speak. Then at the end of the chapter, the church prays for boldness. They're all filled with the Spirit and then they all speak the gospel. See, bold evangelism is the result of being filled with the Spirit. Well, we've been looking today at the, uh, the work of the Spirit as we find ourselves in a Christless world with um, a missional task of taking the gospel to a lost people. And if we're to fulfil that task, then we need to be those who are filled with the Spirit. We saw that in Ephesians this morning, how the whole Christian life is to be lived in the Spirit. We need to be filled by the Spirit in order to be renewed into the likeness of Jesus, bringing about restored relationships, bringing about um, our transformation so that we can become a loving, united community that's a shop window for the gospel. But what we discover as we look at the um, book of Acts is that we need the uh, Holy Spirit for gospel ministry and evangelism as well. We began to see that at the end of the letter to the Ephesians where we thought about the fact that we find ourselves in a spiritual battle and that the sword of the spirit with which we fight that battle is the word of God, the message of the gospel. Paul ended that letter by urging the church to pray for him that he proclaim that gospel clearly and boldly. Well, in many ways, the book of Acts focuses on the work of the spirit in mission. And we're going to um, draw from Acts chapter 7, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 31. But again, I want to, in a sense, draw from the book as a whole as we look at how we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to be bold in evangelism. And four things, I think, that stand out from the uh, book of Acts. Firstly, it's the Holy Spirit that enables mission to happen. It's the Holy Spirit that enables mission to happen. The uh, book of Acts begins with the outpouring of the Spirit on Jesus' disciples on that first day of Pentecost. In chapter 1, we find that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's about to ascend to return to be with the Father. He gathers his disciples in order to send them out on mission. 
Their task is to, to be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He is sending them out to be his witnesses, those who will testify to him, to who he is and what he's done. You might think at that point it's all ready for everything to go, for the mission to begin. But Jesus says something quite surprising to them. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are not to embark on their mission until they have received the Holy Spirit. And that is not until a few days after Jesus has ascended to return to be with his father. And Acts chapter 2 describes how the Holy Spirit comes down and is poured out on the disciples. As we discover in Acts chapter 2, as we saw in the letter to the Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is given to all of the disciples, not just some of them. As the Holy Spirit comes down, tongues of fire come down and separate and um, uh, rest over each of them. This uh, giving and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is seen as being the fulfilment of the uh, new covenant promises. This is a once for all moment in salvation history. Peter explains that this is the sign the last days have become, the last period of God's salvation history. But the important point is the Holy Spirit is enabled so that, or given so that the disciples can engage in their mission. The Spirit is not given to them for just personal spiritual experience, just so that they can enjoy God. What the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them enables them to do is to uh, speak of God and the gospel. It enables them to praise God in tongues so that people can hear the praises of God in their own languages. It, it enables them to prophesy and to be able to declare the uh, gospel good news. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them is in, in many ways a reversal of the judgment of the uh, Tower of Babel when God separated the people and confused language. Now uh, God is bringing all people together by the one gospel that they're enabled to understand. And the uh, whole book of Acts tells the story of how the gospel goes from this small group in Jerusalem to the very heart of the Roman Empire as it closes with Paul preaching in Rome. It's the outpouring of the Spirit that enables them to embark on their mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And actually that's not surprising because of course Jesus' ministry began with him receiving the Holy Spirit. Jesus conducted the whole of his ministry in the Spirit. His ministry began with his baptism, and at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down uh, on him. And the Spirit who empowered Jesus and, and enabled him to undertake his mission is given to his people, given to the church. And you see, the book of Acts really is all about what Jesus continues to do. Jesus continues his work and ministry through his church to whom he gives his spirit. Notice how um, uh, uh, Luke begins his book, chapter 1, verse 1. Luke writes, in my thought, former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The implication is this, the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Once again, as we saw this morning, Jesus is present with his people by his spirit. This is not a Christless world. 
because Christ is with his people by his spirit and he is continuing his work through them. This is a tremendous encouragement to us because it reminds us that we have been given everything we need to undertake the mission that we've been given. It's the Holy Spirit who enables mission. And we don't need another Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on God's people once for all. Which means, as we saw in Ephesians, when we trust in Christ, we receive the Spirit who has already been given. But we do need to allow the Spirit to work in us, both individually and corporately. So it's the Holy Spirit who enables mission. Secondly, it's the Holy Spirit who emboldens evangelism. It's the Holy Spirit who emboldens evangelism. The um, immediate impact of the pouring out of the Spirit is the bold preaching of Peter. In uh, Acts chapter 2, you know the story. The crowd think that the apostles are drunk as they praise God in all these different languages. But in fact, Peter says, no, this is the work of the Spirit. And he proceeds to then preach and proclaim to them the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. You put him to death, but God has raised him to new life. Repent uh, and believe for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. I think often we fall into thinking that it was the resurrection that transformed the disciples from being scared and frightened to being bold preachers of the gospel. But we miss out then the stage of the Spirit. It was actually the giving of the Spirit that transformed them into bold proclaimers of the good news of the gospel. And actually that's what we see happening all the way through the book of Acts. We saw it in our Acts chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, Peter and John are up before the Sanhedrin. Uh, they've healed uh, a lame man at the temple. They're now on trial for what they've done. What name um, are you using to uh, kind of uh, cause this man to be uh, sort of uh, healed? And uh, Peter on trial is filled with the Spirit and then uh, preaches to the rulers and elders the good news that Jesus is the Christ and he's been raised from the dead. The Spirit gives him the boldness to preach the gospel. Chapter 4 and verse 31 that we had read, the church prays um, uh, that God would give his servants, the apostles, boldness to speak the word of God. What are we told? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What was the result? They spoke the word of God boldly. Uh, we find it in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, where Stephen is filled with the Spirit. As uh, Even as the, the lynch mob is gathering around him, he preaches the good news about Jesus as the risen Lord. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 9, when Paul's in his missionary journey on Cyprus and he confronts the sorcerer Elimans, we're told that Paul is filled with the Spirit and he immediately confronts him and denounces him. And that pattern is repeated through the book of Acts. The apostles are filled with the Spirit and then they speak the word of God boldly. And often that takes place in contexts of great opposition and hostility. Often when the apostles are on trial and even at risk of the threat of death. Often it's when they're speaking to people who don't want to hear what they have to say, who will find the gospel offensive, 
who will find the gospel personally challenging and may even think that the gospel message is criminal and ought to be suppressed. These are some of the hardest contexts in which to speak the gospel. But yet the Spirit gives boldness and they are prepared to speak. Now that shouldn't surprise us because actually this is what Jesus always promised. Do you remember Jesus told his uh, disciples during his earthly ministry, you can read this in, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told his disciples, you'll be dragged before the authorities, you'll be put on trial for your faith. But Jesus in Luke 12 verse 12 said, don't worry about what to say. Because the Spirit will give you the words to say. When you're uh, in that moment of uh, a, a kind of maximum pressure, the Holy Spirit will be the one who gives you the words uh, to speak. Now, I don't think that means that the Holy Spirit is going to, as it were, dictate to you what you should say. Because the words you're to say are actually the gospel word that you already know. When we find the disciples on trial in the book of Acts, it's not that they say anything new. But what they do is they speak the gospel they know with boldness. And I wonder whether you can look back on those times in your life where maybe you've had a gospel opportunity and you found yourself speaking with a boldness that has surprised you. You know that here is somebody who's potentially hostile or there's an audience watching on or there are colleagues listening in. The easiest thing in the world would have been just to keep your head down. But actually you found that in the strength of God, you've had the ability to be able to speak boldly for Jesus. That's the work of being filled by the Spirit. So what do we need for more effective evangelism? What do we need for more effective evangelism? We can easily fall into thinking that what we need, first of all, is training. If only we're trained to share the gospel better, if only we're given a technique, if only we can kind of, you know, use Uncover or the word one-to-one or get people along to Christianity Explored or have a, a way of speaking of the gospel, that'll help us to share the gospel. It will. Or we think apologetics. What about all the difficult questions people have to ask? What about suffering? What about sort of God's sovereignty? What about other religions? What about homosexuality? If only we're equipped to answer the questions. Yes, that's helpful. But I suspect in many cases the thing that we really need is the courage to speak. To say the things that we already know to be true about Jesus. To speak the gospel that we already know. And that courage comes from the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit. Like the apostles, we need to be open to God and prayerful. So as we go into our workplaces, into our neighbourhoods, at the school gate, maybe into our families... We need to be open to opportunities to speak the gospel and we need to pray to be filled that we might have boldness to speak the gospel in a way that would overcome our fears. I think it's a little bit like Nehemiah in uh, kind of uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. You know that Nehemiah sort of is, is with the king and the king looks at him and says, Nehemiah, you look a bit sad, what's wrong with you? And Nehemiah suddenly realises he's got an opportunity to say what he's been wanting to say about Jerusalem being in ruins and wanting to go back and rebuild it. What does Nehemiah do? Actually, what he does is he prays. He prays, effectively, Lord, help me to speak. And then he launches in boldly with the king. I wonder when you have that moment of opportunity with a colleague or a friend, do you pray 
Lord, I can see here there's an opportunity. Fill me with your spirit that I might boldly speak. Part of our evangelism training ought to be to remind us that we need to be filled with the spirit in order to be bold. And once again, prayer is the key. We saw that in Ephesians. We see that here in um, our verses 23 to 30. Do you notice that? That uh, the church, after Peter and John are released by the Sanhedrin and warned not to speak, the church gathers together and the church prays. The church realises that it's involved in a spiritual struggle and a battle. They don't find it surprising that there's hostility to the gospel. In fact, they see that as the fulfilment of uh, scripture. They look back to the Old Testament, to Psalm 2, which speaks of how the nations are going to kind of conspire against God's anointed king. They want to get rid of him. They want to get rid of his rule. Why do we think it's surprising that people are hostile to the gospel? They don't want to be ruled by God. They want to overthrow him. The church doesn't think this is strange. It's part of the spiritual battle. But how do they respond? They pray. They pray that God would give them great boldness so that they won't be held back, but they'll keep speaking the gospel because they know that it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. And God answers their prayer and we're told they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Not just the apostles, but the whole church was emboldened to speak of Jesus. Again, isn't this what we need? Isn't this what we need individually and personally? Isn't this what we need in our churches? Isn't this what we ought to be praying for on a daily basis as we go into our workplace, as we go and connect with our non-Christian friends and neighbours, as we go to our gyms? Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we might speak your word boldly. Isn't this what we ought to be praying for for one another on church as we gather together on a Sunday and as we then go out into the rest of the week onto the mission field where we may have multiple opportunities to speak of Christ? Isn't this what we need to pray for for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world who are on trial for their faith or imprisoned for their faith? Lord, fill them with your spirit so that they might speak the gospel boldly. I wonder how much we pray like that. And if we don't pray like that, we can't expect those non-uttered prayers to be answered. If you're feeling weak in uh, uh, evangelism, if you're feeling scared of speaking, pray that God would fill you with his spirit and give you that boldness. The Holy Spirit empowers for evangelism. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit ensures that mission advances. The Holy Spirit ensures that mission advances. We've already seen that in the book of Acts, the task of the apostles and the church is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. To take the gospel to all nations and all peoples. It's remarkable if you think about it, this little group of people in Jerusalem were expected to take the gospel to the entire world. And I think one of the challenges for us as we think about this task of mission is that we can be very reluctant to have an expansive vision for the gospel. Our inclination is to simply reach people like us. People who live in um, our locality. We very easily fall into wanting church and ministry to be safe and stable. 
We don't really want to take risks and we don't really want to make sacrifices. We want it all to be secure. But what we find in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow that. The Holy Spirit was at work to keep moving the gospel on. To move the gospel on to new people, to new places. Because that is God's mission. And at crucial moments, the Holy Spirit who empowers for bold evangelism also directs and guides for the gospel to move on and move out. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul is converted and called. God's chosen him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And how does God equip him for that work? Well, uh, he is filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be able to uh, undertake this uh, work of carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. In uh, Acts chapter 13, we discover that it's the Holy Spirit that uh, effectively says to the, uh, the church in Antioch, you're to uh, kind of send Paul and Barnabas out. Actually, they had a bit of a thriving ministry at that stage. By that point, um, Antioch had become the kind of the thriving church. It had these great celebrity pastors, Paul and Barnabas. They were raising up and training new leaders. They were reaching people from the multi-ethnic uh, kind of community of Antioch. You might think it's all going really well. And the Holy Spirit says, send out Paul and Barnabas. And the church gives up its two key leaders and sends them out on a pioneering mission. In Acts chapter 16, we discover that sort of uh, Paul's on his missionary journey. And he kind of is wondering where to go next. He's making his plans. But we're told that the Holy Spirit prevented him and his team kind of entering Asia and Bithynia. That's where they thought they ought to go next. That's where they thought they would get to build on the work that they'd already done. But we're told the Holy Spirit prevented them. We're not told exactly how the Holy Spirit presented them. But immediately following that, Paul is given a vision of a man of Macedonia. And the result is the gospel goes to Europe. In the final um, stages of the uh, book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit who is both directing and encouraging Paul to return to Jerusalem. Even though um, he is warned that he will be arrested and imprisoned and put on trial. See, God's purpose is for him to return to Jerusalem to have yet more opportunity to be able to declare the gospel. To be able to declare the gospel to the Jewish crowds in the temple. To be able to declare the gospel before the governors, Festus and Felix. To be able to declare the gospel before King Agrippa. And ultimately to be able to declare the gospel before Caesar when Paul is on trial in Rome. I don't know if you've noticed this, but some of the greatest gospel opportunities in the New Testament come when the apostles are on trial. Being arrested and put on trial is not a disaster. The apostles see it as a wonderful gospel opportunity. Their defence is virtually always to declare that Jesus is the king and you ought to believe in him. The Holy Spirit takes Paul from his mission and sends him to Jerusalem which looks like a backward step, but actually it opens up remarkable gospel opportunity. Can you see that the Holy Spirit who um, uh, empowers mission ensure that the mission advances? As the apostles 
are, are sent to new contexts, to new people, to new places. As this great work of being witnesses to Jesus to the ends of the earth is fulfilled. See, Jesus ensures that the mission advances by his spirit, that boundaries are crossed. And sometimes our natural inclination, rather like the cowardice of not speaking, is a fear of stepping out. Sometimes we're reluctant or we resist taking the gospel to new communities, new people. Maybe our community is a community that's increasingly having a large immigrant population. And we're reluctant to make the changes that are necessary in our churches to reach those who come from a very different culture. Maybe there are communities around us in which there is no gospel witness, but we're reluctant to go to those communities because they're not the places we want to live. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit will cause us to want to expand our boundaries and to take the gospel to those new places and those new people who need to hear of Christ. If we're to fulfil our mission, we need to be empowered by the Spirit, but we also need to be led and directed by the Spirit. Certainly we should play, pray and plan. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul constantly planned for what he thought was the best possible way to advance the gospel. But God sometimes takes our plans, frustrates them and does something better. We may surprise ourselves that um, uh, we're called to give away our most gifted leaders to go and do gospel work elsewhere. We may find ourselves called to give away the young people that we're training up in our churches to go and serve God elsewhere. We may find that we're called to go to or plant in or send people to unexpected places. We may find that we're put in situations where we're sent to suffer because that will give us opportunity to witness. We may call, find that we're called to go somewhere else, even when we don't think the work here is finished. Because mission is all about being sent. And the Spirit sends his people to accomplish the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So the great task of the church, our great task in a Christless world, is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all nations including our own. And that task seems overwhelming. The scale of the challenge is immense. As we've seen, 97% of the UK are not Christians. 99.6% of the population of Yorkshire are not Christians. That mission will only be possible if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Christian life is lived in the Spirit, and gospel mission must be done in the power of the Spirit. The world needs to hear of Christ. He is the only saviour. So we heard in that passage as Peter and John were preaching, um, his name is the only name under heaven by which men may be saved. The great news is that it's not a Christless world. Christ dwells with his people by his spirit. He is gathering his elect people from all nations. He is triumphing and defeating his enemies as the gospel goes out. This is great news for us, because it means that ultimately mission is not down to us alone. Success is not dependent on us. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was pulled out, was the festival of weeks. 
which marked seven weeks since the start of the harvest. Pentecost, in a sense, is a harvest festival. And it's a kind of, it's a midway harvest festival between the beginning of the harvest and the Feast of Tabernacles that marks the end of the harvest. And actually that reminds us that the gift of the Spirit is all about the harvest. Jesus began the harvest. The harvest has begun to be gathered in. And we are given the Spirit in order to continue the harvest and bring it to completion. We need to be filled with the Spirit who will embolden us with boldness to proclaim Christ. Who will direct us to sacrificial action and gospel advance. And we can look back over 2,000 years of church history of how Jesus has been at work and how the gospel has been taken to the ends of the earth. One of the really encouraging things about being with you today is just been talking to a number of you about how the Lord has been at work in your churches and what's been accomplished over the last 20 years. Churches that are growing, people that have been converted, churches that are planted, kind of unity and working together. It's, it's easy to lose sight of what the Lord has done. But he has been at work. But we need the power and the work of his spirit to enable us to undertake the mission that he's given us. So as we think about the challenge, are you praying to be filled with the Spirit? Are you willing to be led by the Spirit and cross those boundaries to take the gospel to those who need to hear it? Are you confident that it's the Spirit who will enable us to accomplish the task? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for the encouragement of the book of Acts. It shows us that you have poured out your spirit on your people just as you promised. And thank you that we can see that it is your spirit who gave your people boldness to speak the gospel. We think of the apostles many times under severe threat of persecution, even on trial for their lives. And uh, you filled them with your spirit and enabled them to speak the word of God boldly. Father, we confess that very often we lack that boldness. We have opportunity to speak the gospel, but we don't take it because we're fearful. We ask and pray that you might deliver us from our fear, that we might know the work of your spirit in us, giving us a boldness to speak of the Lord Jesus. And please would you forgive us when we want ministry to be safe and comfortable, when we're unwilling to take risks, or to go to different people in different places. Please would you lead us and guide us. That we might be willing to see the gospel going out. To the ends of the earth. To all communities and all peoples. And thank you for the encouragement that it is to us. That you are present with us. To accomplish your purposes. Forgive us when we trust in ourselves. May we instead put our trust and confidence in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.